I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Today's verses will be 17 through 38 as we look at a message entitled, Begin with the End in Mind. That is an old adage. It's a wise adage to begin with the end in mind. For example, it is not enough for a runner to begin a race well. Finishing strong is equally important. Like a marathon runner, a pastor must keep the finish line in mind at the beginning and throughout his ministry race. And that is true not only for pastors, that's true for you as well. Because God has called you. God has gifted you. God has given you an opportunity to serve Him. And it's important that you keep the end in mind, that you don't become distracted, that you stay focused on what God has called you to. The Apostle Paul is a good example to follow because he ran a race in a very steady way, keeping his pace close to the Lord, paying close attention to what he was doing, where he was going, and how he would finish. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38 provides a glimpse into the Apostle Paul's ministry. Here we learn some valuable lessons about the way you can have an effective ministry by keeping the end in mind. Paul's desire was to return to Jerusalem before Pentecost. He was traveling, and on his way, on his journey, he passed close to Ephesus. He was in a place called Miletus. He was waiting for a, a boat to take him on toward Jerusalem. And he wanted to speak with the leaders in the church at Ephesus, but he knew that it was 30 miles away, so that would be a long trip, and it would certainly derail his desire to be there by Pentecost. So he sent word to the leaders of that church, and they met him in Miletus, and there they had the opportunity to hear his heart and gain some valuable insight from the apostle. And it's important that we learn what he had to say to his leaders because they were words of wisdom not just for them but also for us in our day that we can certainly apply in the ministry that God has given to us as a church and as a people. So I want to look at three things from the Apostle Paul's ministry as he encountered these church leaders. These insights should inspire us to run our ministerial race to a faithful finish. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I have to say to you, okay? I want you to make some notes because these are very important things. Three things, write them down if you would. First of all, we see Paul's submission. Look with me now in chapter 20, verse 17 and following. Here we see Paul's submission to God's work. The Bible tells us from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Let me stop there for just a moment and say that the Apostle Paul did a lot of ministry in Asia Minor. Of course, in the church there at Ephesus, there were just a few people to begin with, but their impact was massive. They were able to be instrumental in launching numerous churches throughout that area, and many people had heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and how they could be saved. 
And that is so important because that's what God has called us all to do. That's what God has called this church to do, is it not? It's to take the gospel, not just locally, but around the world, to have a worldwide mentality for missions. He's called all of us and equipped us to do what he has asked us to do. Now, let me just say that uh, the church congregation is a mission field because no doubt there are some of you who have gathered here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. Maybe you've heard the gospel many, many times before, but yet you've never responded with saving faith. Oh, you may have joined a church. It could be that you've been baptized, but you've never truly given your heart to Christ. If that is the case, here's what I want you to do. I want you to acknowledge that you're a sinner. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all gone astray. None of us has done the will of the Lord. We're all unrighteous, the Bible says, by God's standard because He's holy. But because we've sinned, there's a separation between us and holy God. He cannot accept us in our sinful condition. But that's why He sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Uh, Jesus lived without sin, and He died as a substitute on Calvary's cross. And our penalty, our guilt and shame was placed on Jesus and God the Father pulled out His wrath on His Son, the Lord Jesus, on our behalf so we could be forgiven of our sins. But we have to acknowledge we're sinners, believe Jesus is a Savior, and surrender our lives to Christ. Now, if you've not, if you've not done that, then you're not a, a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. And I want to urge you to do that. Call upon His name. As a matter of fact, at the end of the service study, we'll have an invitation where you can do that. You can do it even now, but you can certainly do it at the invitation time. Don't delay. That's the most important thing, and that's the, the driving passion for God's people, sharing the good news message around the world. Well, the Apostle Paul had spent three years pouring himself into the leadership at Ephesus and these other churches, and now he's gathering them together to give them some additional instructions. And so we see he's submitting himself to God's work by being there. The Bible says in verse 18, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Now let's stop at verse 19 for just a moment, and here we see some things about the characteristics of Paul's ministry. He he says, I came to you in humility. Now, the Apostle Paul was a very intellectual man, very intelligent. He was well-trained. Uh, he was a man of great passion for the Lord. You all know that his name used to be Saul. He was from Tarsus. And uh, upon his conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord changed his name to Paul. He became an apostle, and God sent him out. Prior to being converted, he actually tried to kill Christians. He wanted to stamp out this new movement. But once he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life was never the same. But with all that in the life of the Apostle Paul, he came to these people to conduct himself with humility because he understood that it was not his giftedness, it was not his intellect, it was not his vocabulary or his speaking ability, it was not his ingenuity or his ability to organize. It was not even his passion. 
The reason that he came to them was because the Lord had called him to do so. And it was God who'd received the glory. It was God who gave him everything he needed to pour into the lives of those Christians there in Ephesus. And so he comes to them humbly knowing that his strength is from the Lord. But he also ministered with tears and also in trials. It was not easy. I don't know if you know this, but ministry is not easy. Now, if you've never been engaged in ministry, then you don't understand that statement. Ministry is hard because you have to pour yourself out into the lives of other people. And so there's difficulty with it, not just with individuals, but also with churches. And so the Apostle Paul, he wept for these people because he loved them. He went through trials. He says, it came to him through the plots of the Jews. He says in verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was saying that I was faithful to tell you the truth. Now that may sound simple, but it's not so simple because you understand that when you tell the truth, there are consequences. Not everybody's going to like the truth because the truth is not very pretty. It's like the light shining in the darkness. It exposes things that the darkness has hidden. And when Paul came to these people and went to his other ministry ventures, he told them the truth. That's what we must strive to do as ministers. There must be no compromise with the truth. Now, we can disagree on preferences and methodologies and things of that sort, but friend, there's no room for compromise with the truth. You see, the Word of God is inspired and inerrant, and it is profitable for us all. And it is our standard for faith and practice that should never be forgotten. So the Word of God must be clearly proclaimed, not just from the pulpit, but from every group in our church. I think about our life group leaders and our D-life leaders and our staff and our deacons and all the people who in some way instruct others, from the youngest to the oldest. It's so vitally important to remember that the Word of God is central to everything we do. Uh, we have a pulpit that is not like this. It's a more sturdy variety back over here. We've removed this for our presentation tonight, the Christmas season. But you don't see it, but on the back side of that pulpit it says, Sir, we would see Jesus. It's a reminder to everyone who steps into this pulpit that it's not about the individual, it's about Jesus Christ. Underneath this pulpit there is a container that has a Bible from one of our former pastors. And it's symbolic in that it states by placing that Bible there when this church was built that this church is built upon the Word of God. It is central to everything we do, the Word of the living God. And that's what the apostle is saying here, his faithfulness to teach and preach the truth. He was submissive to God and his work. He was also submissive to the will of God. Look at verse 22. He says, And now behold, bound in the Spirit... I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that 
bonds and afflictions awake me. How would you like to be called by God and know that you are going to a place where it's not going to be easy? It's going to cost you something. And it may even cost you your life. There are people who serve as missionaries around the world that you and I support when we give through the cooperative program and when we give to the missions effort here. And their lives are in peril. They cannot even say where they are publicly. They have to use different names than what is really their names because they are concerned that it might somehow get out through social media, some other source, where they're located and they could be in harm's way. The Apostle Paul understood that type of life. He knew that the Lord was taking him to Jerusalem. He says that he's compelled by the Spirit. He's bound in the Spirit that God has made it clear to him that he is to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I don't know everything that's going to happen to me there. And isn't that just like God? God doesn't show us every step along the way throughout our lives in one glance we should thank him that that is the case because if he did, we would probably be so overwhelmed we would not be able to continue. But we have to rely on the Lord one step at a time. That is true individually and it's true collectively as a congregation. We have to trust the Lord daily as he leads us, as he opens doors for us. We don't see every step along the way. That's why it's so important that we keep the end in mind, that we know ultimately where we're going and what God has called us to do, and we keep our eyes focused on the task, not on an individual, not on a personality, not on a group of people, not on a fad. We keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, who has set the course for us to move forward to accomplish His work in the world. It's essential that we do that, but we don't know every step along the way. That's because if God revealed it to us, we probably would not seek him as much, perhaps. I would say that our prayer lives are most enhanced when, when we struggle with uncertainty, when we're looking for God's direction, or when we're going through a time of crisis or difficulty. We really cry out to the Lord during that time. Isn't it true? I don't know about you, but that's when my prayer life really takes off. That's when it's the strongest it's not when I feel strong and secure and I have it all together. It's when I feel the uncertainties of life bearing in upon me and I know I need the precious power and presence of the Lord revealed in my life in a special way. And it just drives me to my knees and those are some of the most sweet and precious moments of life. And it's, it's important that we do that. And sometimes God has to take us through those seasons to get us to that place but when we do go to that place, we're able to move forward with much greater confidence and clarity. And it's important that we do that as individuals. It's important that you do that as a church, as, as you move forward, as we see what God has in store, we keep looking to him. Look at verse 24. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, Paul acknowledges that his life is not important. 
That's counterintuitive, isn't it? Our tendency is to protect ourselves. We have this instinct of self-preservation and to nurture ourselves and to even pamper ourselves. But Paul says here that I have come to the place in my life where I understand it's not about me anymore. Friend, that, that's liberating, isn't it? When you realize it's really not about you anymore. It doesn't have to be your preference. It doesn't have to be done your way because it's all about Jesus. And that's what, that's what he's saying. That's what he's emphasizing here. He says he's doing this for a reason. So that, he says, I may finish my course. That is, that I reach the end. I have the end in mind. And I'm not letting my selfish inclinations and my worldly pursuits distract me from reaching the finish line. I'm going on a course, on a journey. The Lord is directing me. And he says, the ministry which I receive from the Lord. Folks, ministry is not something we develop or we produce. It is something that is granted to us. It is God who opens and closes the doors of ministry. We don't tell God what we're going to do. And when we're going to do it, if we do, we are prideful and disobedient. We ask him what he would have us to do, and we walk with him in fellowship and obedience through that course. And he's driven by this need to share the gospel. He says to, talk, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel is good news. And that's what we're to share. That's what life's about for the believer. And so Paul is submissive to the Lord. When you're in the military, you submit yourselves to those who are in authority over you. How many of you have been in the military? Just raise your hand for a moment. Now, in the military, I've not served there, but I have such respect for people who have. And I thank you for your service. But I've been told that uh, the military, they're not the kind of people that give you many options. They tell you what to do. For example, they don't say to you, now, we would like for you to get up at 6 in the morning. Would that be okay with you? What would you like for breakfast, by the way? No, they tell you what to do, and what do you say? Yes, sir. And you do what they say. You submit to their authority. Paul was submissive to the authority of God. Walking under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, he understood that his life had been given to him to be spent for the glory of God. And you and I must realize that same thing, that we must daily surrender, we must submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, even though we feel the inclinations of the, press, of, of the flesh drawing strongly upon us we must resist that and surrender to the lord it's only through our surrender to the lord that we can walk in the power of the spirit so there's the the submission that paul shows and then notice paul's service we pick up in verse 25 here we see his commitment to the church 
And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. No longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Here, uh, Paul is saying that I have told you the truth. I have preached the Word of God to you. I have preached the whole counsel of God to you. You will not be able to say before God that my leader Paul, the minister over me, that you gave to me did not tell me so I didn't know. Paul says, my hands are clean because I've told you the truth. Again, what is the truth? The Word of God is the truth. Friend, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. Only if it is consistent with the Word of God is it even valid to be considered. The Word of God is what we believe and what we stand on. It's not based on feeling or fad. It is based upon the truth of God's Word. So he had a commitment to the church to teach them the Word of God. And then he gives a caution to the church. And remember, he understands he's not going to see them again. So he issues them a warning. We read about it in verse uh, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Now, who's he speaking to? Well, he's speaking to overseers. These are our ministers. As a matter of fact, the word overseer, bishop, uh, elder, pastor, these are words used interchangeably. So he's talking to church leaders. These are the folks responsible for the congregation. They're to lead by example. They are to lead by their preaching and so he tells them first to be on guard for themselves. Listen to me. Folks, you and I need to be very cautious. I, I think about Jesus going to the garden to pray before his crucifixion. He asked his disciples to pray with him, and they could not. They kept falling asleep. And three times he comes back to them to wake them up and say, Look, can't you pray with me an hour? Be on guard. Be alert. Your adversary would like to take advantage of you at this point. And it's so true, isn't it, that our adversary is always looking for an opening, always looking for an opportunity to distract and divide and to discourage and to defeat. And that's why it's so important that we listen to this warning that the Apostle Paul delivers. And I would say to all the deacons here, and all the staff, we have a wonderful staff, wonderful deacons, godly men, great teachers here, some of the greatest teachers I've ever met. It's so important to stand strong. First of all, guard your own heart. Don't compromise. Know the truth and stand in the truth. Preach the truth. Teach the truth. Live the truth. So he goes on and he says, not only yourself, but look out for the flock. 
He says, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's given you this privilege and this responsibility to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. This is not anybody's church. Sometimes we say, well, I want you to come to my church. And we understand what we're saying, but reality is this is God's church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the one who died for the church. He paid with his own blood, as Paul points out in this passage. He says, which he purchased with his own blood. He gave his life for the church. That's why I have a problem when people say, well, I love God, but I don't really care for the church. That is inconsistent. That, that can't be true. You have to wonder if a person's genuinely saved, if they say they love God, but they have no desire to be a part of God's people. That is gross error at the very least. So there's a caution here. Let's move on and, and see verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. That is, you have to be careful about false teaching coming in from the outside. It may sound good. You have to weigh everything by what the Bible says. That's your standard of truth. That's the standard you use to guard against any falsehood. And he goes on and says in verse, um, look if you would, in verse 30, and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He says, be careful that there's not some strong figure that arises that has a great personality and he's well-liked. If he strays from the truth, note it. The truth is what your standard is. Don't be drawn away by someone who wants a hearing, someone who wants to promote himself. Remember Paul came in humility? A true man of God will come in humility. Not in pride, not with selfish desires, trying to just get people to come and, and look at him and promote him and make him exalted but someone who humbles himself like Jesus did when he washed the feet of the disciples. So important to remember that. Verse 31, Therefore be on alert remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul is saying, I, I, I have this deep love for you. I want the best for you. And if you're not a minister, it's hard to understand that. It's hard really to grasp that. He says in verse 32, And now I commend you to God. That is, I'm giving you to the Lord. I've done what he's called me to do. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, with my departure, it's not over. God has a plan. And my yielding of you to him is simply saying, I fulfilled my calling, I fulfilled my responsibility, but God is able and will keep you to the very end. 
You have an inheritance laid up for you because of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, your faithfulness to Him. And what a great caution this is. God's people must always be cautious. Not afraid, not intimidated, but cautious. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep the end in mind. Keep the Word of God as your standard of truth that you live by and you serve by. And then we see Paul's care for the church. Look at verse 33 and following. It was a selfless care. He says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here he, he encourages them to follow his example in caring for other people. Don't just be consumed with what you have and what you hold on to. Be givers. God has given to you so you might give to other people. It is so easy to follow the, the tendency that we have to, to hoard things. You know, there used to be this program on television. It was called Hoarders. And it showed people that would just keep everything they had, even the smallest of things, things that didn't even work anymore. They would keep them in their house to the point that they couldn't even live in the house anymore. You couldn't walk through the house because stuff would be stacked up to the ceiling. Some of you may be like that. I don't know. But those are hoarders. Friends, Christians should not be hoarders. We're givers because we give in response to what God has done for us. He gave us his best. We must give. This is the type of service that Paul rendered. What an example this is. He's calling us all to this high example. Like Paul, David Livingstone was a missionary. During his service, we're told that he walked over 29,000 miles. Can you imagine that? Walked over 29,000 miles. His wife died soon after he began his ministry. He also encountered intense opposition of those who opposed his work. Here's his prayer, and I quote, Send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. What a great prayer that is, and that's what we should pray because to serve the Lord faithfully to the finish means that we have the same level of commitment as we look to where God is taking us, as we look to the end, have the end in mind, as we do our ministries, we will make it to where God is taking us, but we have to be faithful to Him, submissive to the Lord, faithful in service. And then we see Paul's separation. This is, this is kind of where the whole movement of this passage has been going. It's been building up in intensity as Paul knows that he will see them no more. He's already said that, but he's pouring himself out, giving them some instructions before he 
leaves them that final time. But this separation brought about prayer. We see in verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. Prayer is an intimate thing. Prayer is us communing with God, but it's also us connecting with others. I know Wednesday nights we have a, a prayer group I do. It's called prayer meeting. Uh, ironically, that's kind of what we've called it for years. I know for years I would come in and preach a full sermon, and we'd spend a few minutes in prayer. But we've really, through the last couple of years, I've really tried to, to focus on praying rather than preaching. I'm thankful for preaching. You know that. I mean, a preacher will preach at the drop of a hat, and he will drop the hat if necessary. But many times we spend all of our time doing things, but prayer is the very greatest thing we could do when we don't do it, or at least we don't do it enough. But prayer is a powerful experience. You connect with those around you as you're connecting with God, and it, it brought him to the place where he cried out as he had many times before on behalf of these people in this church. His heart was filled with emotion. It spills over. You see it here in this passage. That was Paul's separation. He, he knew that he was leaving them, but he also knew that his prayers were powerful because God heard his prayers and that God would work in them and continue to stir them and lead them and direct them. And they would just need to be obedient. But Paul's separation also, also brought about pain. We see that in verses 37 and 38. They begin to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ship. Uh, can't you see them gathered around there in Miletus, and they're, they're praying. Paul has already shared with them all these things, and they're praying together. They get up, and they, they make that slow walk to the boat. The boat he would get into and head out toward Jerusalem. And they would see him sail away into the sunset. And they would see his face no more on this earth. But his prayer for them would remain. His love would continue to be strong. And they would continue to prosper as they walked in obedience to the Lord. You know, separation is never easy. This is especially true when you have a deep love for someone. Nevertheless, like a fork in a road, sometimes following God's will results in a temporary separation. We're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, there is an appointed time for everything and a time for every event under heaven. That is true. That is true for all of us. That is true for me. For almost 17 years, I've had the privilege of being your pastor. During this time, we have gone through tragedies and triumphs together. Although we've not accomplished all the things I had hoped, I am thankful to say that today, Tabernacle has a greater influence locally and around the world that it than it has ever had in the history of this church. Since the day I became your pastor, I knew one day 
that I would stand before you to announce my departure. And that day has come. For over a year, I have known that my ministry at Tabernacle was coming to an end. The Lord lets you know these things, even when you don't necessarily want them to happen. But I knew it so recently. God confirmed this to me, and he revealed that he would be moving me. After a lengthy process of prayer, and it was lengthy, I have spent many months praying specifically for tabernacle, praying for myself and what God would have me to do. God has seen fit to open a ministry opportunity for me to become the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Douglas, Georgia. Douglas is the town where I was born. It's where I was raised. It is a place where I have deep roots. It is where my 87-year-old mother still lives. Next Sunday, I will be preaching there in view of a call. If confirmed, I will begin my new pastorate on January the 7th. My final Sunday here at Tabernacle will be December the 23rd. Although this is a difficult transition for me, and I know it's for you as well, I don't want you to be discouraged. Uh, Tabernacle has great days ahead. I assure you that there will be many excellent candidates that will desire an opportunity to pastor Tabernacle. Tabernacle is one of the leading churches in our convention, and it has great potential ahead. This church has, as I mentioned earlier, a very strong staff, very good people, very capable and experienced people. Also, this church has wonderful deacons and other leaders that make this church strong because they love the Lord and they follow Him, they believe Him, they trust Him. Just incredible people. So God will send you the right pastor, but here's what you need to do. You need to trust Him. You need to obey Him. And you need to pray. If you will do those three things, trust, obey, and pray, you will be where God wants you to be. You will be the church God wants you to be. My family and I love you all and will always cherish our years together. A very special time. This is a very special time in my life. Knowing you and, and serving you has been an honor. As a matter of fact, when I came here, uh, I didn't have any gray hair. I did not have these glasses, and I had no heart stents. Look what you've done to me. No, it's been a pleasure to serve you, and this will not be the end. This will only be a new beginning, and I am so serious when I say that. Uh, don't be dismayed. Don't be dis in despair. Uh, God has a wonderful plan for this church, and you are part of it. Uh, some of you are new members. You've been here perhaps for a short time, and some maybe you're considering joining. Now is the time to join. Now's the time to be a part of what God is doing because this is a new day. Friend, this is a new opportunity for this church. God is not making this transition so that you'll go down a different road of despair and destruction. Absolutely not. This is a transition that will place you in a stronger position. 
and will open up many more doors of opportunity for you. That will happen if you respond rightly. Trust Him. Obey Him. Pray. Continue to serve. Continue to give. Continue to grow. And when you do, and when I do, we will be able to join the Apostle Paul as he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This comes near the end of his life. It's at the end of his ministry. He's finally about to cross the finish line. He's kept the end in mind all this time. He knows that shortly he is, he's going to be executed. Here are some of his last words. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul finished well because he ran with the end in mind. He did not let distractions divert his attention from the finish line. You and I must do the same. When we do, we will finish well. 